G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. When controversial political policies are being debated, we'll often hear, either from politicians or from media commentators, the idea of a pub test. Well, it's a way of talking about how you might evaluate the thoughts and positions of ordinary, everyday Australians and apply them to the activities or to the policies of the parties and the politicians. Well, there are other tests too that sometimes you'll hear being talked about, things like family impact tests or indeed the idea of the verdict of a citizen's jury. So with the idea of a pub test, there appears to be an assumption that it's people at the pub who are best placed to analyse important issues. And perhaps while they're having a few drinks, betting on the horses and watching football. So why isn't there something like a Christian test? Or don't we trust ourselves to make judgments about political policies or the character of our political leaders from a biblical perspective. Do Christians feel that the collective wisdom of thousands of years is of little or no value? Well, our special guest today has been on both sides, the political side and the Christian leaders' side of the policy equation. He's a former Labor Premier of the great state of South Australia, the Reverend Dr. Lynn Arnold, these days is an ordained minister in the Anglican Diocese of Adelaide based at St Peter's Cathedral. He's passionate about faith in the public square and indeed is charged with facilitating discussion on issues of social importance. And so a very special welcome back to 2020 to you, Dr Lynn Arnold. Welcome. Good morning, Neil. Very glad to be back on the program. Well, Lynn, love our conversations, and at a time like this, we're just a week and a half out from Australians going to the polls, a federal election, and lots of things at stake in this coming federal election. Uh, it seems to be political leaders are very much preoccupied with uh, the middle ground, the swinging voter, the idea of, you know, running policies by ordinary people who might be sitting around at the bar, applying these sorts of ideas of a pub test. Uh, Then this idea of what about a Christian test for the way we might be thinking as Christian believers about the policies? What are your thoughts about the way that Political leaders at the moment seem to be checking the pulse of people with regard to the sorts of policies being presented. Well, it's, it's a very interesting idea, and I think certainly it needs uh, people of faith to, to be upfront themselves about what they expect of their leaders on all sides of politics to be saying and doing. But remember, the pub test really is about a common sense rule. Uh, when when we hear politicians on either side sometimes going into convoluted explanations of things they've done that perhaps they shouldn't have done, people said, well, will it play in the pub? Will you convince somebody in the pub if you said that's why you did what you did? And inevitably, whenever people raise the pub test thing, it tends to mean that the excuse you've just given won't stack up. So if it was a Christian test in the same kind of way, will what a politician has said stack up in the common sense rule, in the common sense uh, framework that people uh, after church on a Sunday having a cup of tea uh, after church, if if somebody said, well, so-and-so said this is an excuse for why they did something which is pretty poor, what do you think? And would it pass that test? That's the kind of situation that I think we uh, maybe should be having our congregations have some discussions about. How do you think... uh, Scott Morrison did on this, or how do you think Bill Shorten did, or Richard Natale, or Clive Palmer, or Pauline Hanson, or whatever? Would it pass the uh, the morning tea test after church? Okay, yeah, let's take us uh, into a little bit of uh, more 
personal Lynn Arnold conversations after church at your church, Lynn. Are you having these sorts of conversations over a cup of tea? People know your political backgrounds. Uh, are they honest in their interpretation of what they think is happening at a federal level? Uh, the policies are being presented. What sort of morning tea conversations are you having about these sorts of things? In, in fact, we don't tend to have them over morning tea. What we have been having a few times over the years are what we call thinking aloud aloud sessions. And that is where we invite people to come to a special session where we just ask, we, we bring a, a facilitator along who, who provokes a, a thought provoker who talks about a topic and it may, it may have been euthanasia, it might have been uh, um, uh, refugees, it might have been uh, uh, racism, um, and, and, and to be actually quite provocative in what they say and then allow people to talk the issue through, really with a view to saying, well, what do I as a Christian feel? about the various issues that uh, we, we brought forward. And in that kind of situation, it, 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 because we do them, uh, we, we call it thinking aloud aloud, because that merely means people should have the chance to say to each other what's on their chest and not be shouted down, and then let it be talked through, and not, not be held, have it held against them later. Oh, but you said that. You know, you, you leave that room forgetting what somebody said, not holding it against them, so that the way I always introduce these sessions, so that it might allow a grace space to exist between those participating in which the Holy Spirit can speak. And in that sort of setting where you've got people who are offering their opinions, uh, they're thinking aloud, speaking out loud, and in fact they're putting themselves in a vulnerable position because if you have an alternative position, then you're inviting, aren't you, uh, the criticism of even your peers that might be sitting in the same room. So you do have to have this grace about you when you are discussing political issues. I suspect this is one reason why, Lynn, a lot of churches, don't discuss political issues because it is it has that potential for division, doesn't it? Well, that's true, but that's the but that highlights the need to discuss them. Uh, we currently have in South Australia there's legislation being brought before the Parliament for amendments to the abortion legislation, and we will be having a thinking aloud aloud session on that uh, in the coming weeks to uh, to actually allow people to talk this through. Uh, and uh, so that then they can come to the, the, the views they want to come to based upon uh, their Christian faith. All right. Well, listeners might like to contribute to this conversation over this next hour, and uh, you might like to raise any sort of issue. There's no uh, confines on what issues we can talk about over this next hour. Uh, please feel free to be a part of the conversation. We'll open our talkback lines on 1-800-316-316. You can make a contribution. You can make a suggestion. Uh, we'll endeavour to be able to approach whatever issue comes up today. But I want to ask you, Lynn, about this loss of Christian influence in the marketplace. If you say, will it play in the pub or will it play in the church, it would appear to be that politicians are not interested in what the church is thinking right now. What are your thoughts about this loss of Christian influence we seem to be going through right now? Well, partly there is the perception that the Christian influence is less significant, and census data tells us that fewer people are attending uh, churches these days than previously. Uh, and partly, I think it is because uh, there's, there's not enough articulation by Christian viewpoints of what that we want to say. And sometimes that's because we feel shouted down by fundamentalist secularism that uh, really suggests anything that comes out of the mouth of a Christian can't be valid. Um, and so we, we shy away sometimes and, and, and back off from entering into that debate. Then the question is... Uh, if, if we are to have an influence on, on politicians, we do need to be in the place of debate, but we need to be in that place in a constructive way where we're not just knee-jerking to uh, others, that we actually have something positive to say. Okay, let's talk about Christian leaders because, uh, you know, is the reputation of the church quite low right now? And people are saying, uh, I'm not really concerned about what you might think as a Christian or about a Christian leader and having an opinion. But there's something also, I think, that is a balancing factor here. And I'll get your thoughts here, Lynn, because it seems to be that politicians, uh, by way of a trust factor, 
are pretty well low as well. They're not really on a very high par. People are not necessarily uh, regarded very highly these days. What are your thoughts on the way that even the trust in politicians seems to be at what is quite an all-time low? It certainly is an all-time low. You've heard the comments about our politicians now lower than used car salesmen and things like that. And the fact is that they brought a lot of it upon their own heads. They've, in the way in which they have been handling some of these debates in recent years, there's not really an attempt to bring along a community with them. Rather, there is an increased tendency just to have a slanging against the other side. You know, I, I find it somewhat uh, uh, irritating, as one word, I suppose, when I hear one side, a politician on one side, spending all his or her time commenting about what the other side says, rather than what they believe they should be saying themselves. So they're, they're spending more time commenting on the other side's policies than they are on their own. And that leaves the electorate feeling, well, don't you ever have anything positive to say? Is it always going to be negative attack on the other side? And that then leads to a a loss of trust. Now, you you did mention the point about, of course, Christian communities have had trust issues as well. And we've had the the very serious uh, and dreadful challenges posed to to, uh, all religious faith and to secular managers of children, uh, child institutions uh, as a result of the sex abuse scandals. And, uh, and so that has caused enormous damage to the way in which um, uh, religious institutions are now seen. It does appear, doesn't it, that church leaders have been on the back foot. They've been on the defensive because of all of these charges, because of the deep controversies uh, that have been created through those abuse issues. Somehow or other, churches and church leaders need to... Uh, re-evaluate how they're moving forward and get onto a front foot, which is a little bit more assertive when it comes to uh, the way that perhaps influence to uh, policies might be actually uh, uh, brought forward. What are your thoughts about well, uh, moving from defensive I to... Think there's, I actually think there's a recipe here that works for politics as well. Those situations where church leaders have dissembled about the evil of child abuse, where they've attempted to uh, somehow mitigate the impact of it or somehow tried to talk people out of uh, pursuing matters, uh, that has done enormous credibility damage and deservedly so to the church. Those situations where church leaders have upfronted right at the start and said, no, an evil was conducted, our institution was a party to that, we owe uh, full apology and recompense for that. And uh, we, we need to change ourselves. When that kind of transparency, uh, honest transparency takes place, then people are prepared to listen. Now, it's a similar model for politics. If politics spends all its time excusing itself, mitigating things that were wrong uh, by dissembling arguments, then why would they expect people to suddenly start believing them? Whereas when you have situations where um, in in politics people say, no, that was wrong, we made a mistake, we should not have done that, we will now do something differently, then people are prepared to say, well, I get that. You know, I've made mistakes in my own life. Uh, And uh, it's when you front up to own own them that then you can move on. It's like a public repentance and then a healing process and then the reformation of having a position of strength and influence, and that comes with that foundation of trust. Absolutely, very much so. Let's talk about, we're talking the confidence in the church, uh, confidence in the political system, uh, this idea that politicians might not have the same trust that they had. But this is leading, Lynn, to an even uh, deeper issue, and that is somehow rather the confidence in our own democracy. Uh, Some are suggesting that that is in decline, and we're hearing uh, reports that might come from uh, even overseas countries where young people are not so happy with democracy and ready to experiment with all sorts of other ideals. Uh, What are your thoughts about that? Surveys amongst our own young people shows a high level of disenchantment with the democratic process. And it's not so much that they uh, prefer an alternative system, they just don't think that democracy has proven itself as valuable. And therefore, they're really saying, oh, well, anything will do, rather than that they would actually 
positively choose to go to an alternative. But that's a very bad place to be when they do not think that democracy has anything to offer. Um, And the fact that it's the younger generation that shows a higher tendency towards that um, is is a real problem because they become increasingly a higher proportion of the voters in years to come. And what will that mean for the way in which our democratic system works? A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. Asking the question, do policies need to pass just a pub test or is there such a thing as a Christian test? Well, our special guest this hour, the Reverend Dr. Lynn Arnold, and a minister in the Anglican Church, a former Labor Premier of South Australia. We're taking calls 1-800-316-316. You can also leave a note, a comment, a question on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Let's take a call, Lynn. Glenn is in Buffalo River in Victoria. Hello, Glenn. Welcome along. Good morning. Glenn, what are your thoughts for our conversation? Well, they're just observations that I've made as I watch or follow the journey of uh, the children through, um, through the Exodus. And I find it interesting that Ramadan starts on the same day that Moses arrived at um, Mount uh, Sinai, the 16th day of Iliar. Also the ninth month, the month of bull. I just okay. find all that very interesting. Glenn, you're Ramadan making reference way. to uh, our earlier conversation about Ramadan, and uh, I don't think our guest, Lynn Arnold, uh, Lynn, I'm not sure whether you were listening in any of that, but uh, we were talking about Ramadan earlier, mm-hmm. and the way that around the world, in countries that have a predominance of Islamic uh, governance that uh, Ramadan in fact results in a significant increase in Christian persecution. Now I'm not sure how that's going to relate into our conversation about uh, politics today but uh, I wonder whether you've got any sort of comment about anything like that Lynn. Well it's just interesting I had an email come through yesterday from uh, an organization of Muslims um, which apparently they've said quite widely and they're asking people would they like to be part of an iftar dinner in a Muslim house, and if so, indicate a date when you would like to come, because they said they have many Muslim families who would just like to host somebody for an iftar dinner, not uh, as a conversion thing, just as a get-to-know-them. Um, and so that, I thought, was just a very generous-spirited thing, that they're wanting to show themselves as part of a community and be hospitable to, to others in the community. Um, and that's the sort of thing I think we, we want to see in our community is, is, a, is, a, is an openness and a, and a hospitality while we, we all keep our particular faith. Yes, and while there might be dangers that some face around the world, in, us, in Australia, by and large, uh, we're talking about our Muslim neighbours who may well be uh, friendly and uh, needing to assimilate and uh, needing the friendship, and, and especially, well, I, I, which is... I must say that we had a, a special uh, hour-and-a-half session of prayer for Christians in Sri Lanka after that dreadful uh, terrorist activity in Sri Lanka, and many Sri Lankan Christians came, but we also had uh, some Muslims came to the cathedral to, to pray, including the Deputy Lord Mayor of Adelaide, um, and uh, it, you know, it was just a sign that they wanted to say they could not uh, tolerate the evil that had been conducted in, in the name of their religion. Thank you so much to Glenn from Buffalo River in Victoria. Let's take another call. Jason is on the line from Victoria. Hello, Jason. Hello. How are you, Reverend Lynn? And how are you, um, and how are you Neil? Well, thanks, Jason. Like what are your thoughts? On, we need policies. We definitely need that because... Some of the policies do not, that we have do not pass the Christian tests. Okay, I, I, any one of those that you have in mind, Jason? Which one would you come to mind first? Uh, abortion, first because it is a form of murder, because we have, it's in the Bible, the Ten Commandments say you shall not kill. So we need to, we need to look after the precious children unborn babies because birth comes from, 
comes from conception, as it said, because we need to look after life. Life is precious. Jason, a great thought there. And typically, when we talk about the abortion issue, we're talking about a state issue. It's become a federal issue because there's a promise or a platform position that Labor's taken uh, to fund public abortion in public hospitals. Um, when we apply a Christian test to that, uh, Lynn, what are your thoughts for uh, for Jason and his ideas about abortion? Well, you are quite right that it is a, a predominantly a state issue, what that federal policy is to do with a funding issue. But it's why, uh, it's because there is legislation coming before our state parliament to significantly open up the abortion law in this state, which we're very concerned about that we are following through a process of discussion in the cathedral, and I've been uh, meeting with uh, other um, clergy around the place about that particular issue because we are concerned uh, at the way in which it's being proposed to be opened up so enormously. Now, uh, Jason probably wouldn't agree with me on, uh, on, on the issue of the fact that I think that there are circumstances where uh, abortions are um, should be permitted. You know, I really do believe in the case of rape, in the case of incest, in the case of uh, uh, life-threatening situations for the, uh, for the mother. Um, but I know that, Jason, you may or may not agree with me on that. And so you do need to have legislation to ensure that those situations can be done rather than you end up with backyard abortions, which, uh, uh, which, which, which were dreadful. Uh, but my concern now is that there is a considerable, there is a, a converting of that situation to a just a birth control measure that is uh, seeing it not uh, in the kind of way I've just spoken, but seeing it as well. I don't want this baby, so the baby has the 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 fetus has no rights, and therefore my rights uh, over, overtake the rights of the fetus. Thank you so much to Jason from Victoria. And when you get on to issues like the abortion issue, and as we say, it's primarily a state issue, it's become a federal issue with the platform to fund abortions in public hospitals. But this is one where in your thinking aloud, aloud type of gathering where people would air their thoughts and hopefully with a level of humility that might have their mind changed as their knowledge on the situation develops. Uh, this is one of those where you can begin to apply a Christian test. And even if there is controversy over those different issues, uh, the acceptance that people are changing and deepening their appreciation as they learn more about the topic. Is this the way that uh, applying a Christian test might work? Well, absolutely. I mean, we, we need to work on that statement from uh, Paul in Corinthians, uh, which is often used in different contexts, but I, I, I always use it when I open up these Thinking Aloud Loud sessions. For now I see through a glass darkly, uh, but the time will come when I will see everything. Now, we all see through a glass darkly, but we all see through it a bit differently. Therefore, if we come in good faith and seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we come together to, 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 to see what we can more clearly by the sharing prayerfully of our thoughts and ideas, then maybe we will see through the glass a little less darkly and we'll have a better understanding of what the Holy Spirit would ask of us. Lynn, let's not get bogged down in abortion alone. There are lots and lots of issues here that are in play as the election campaign is continuing. If I'm asking you this, an open-ended type of question, what are the biggest issues or perhaps the biggest issue for you as you're looking at the campaigns, the policies that are being presented, those that are being debated, those that are not being debated? Uh, what for you as a Christian leader is the biggest issue? Well, uh, I used to work with Anglicare, which I think you're aware of. I used to be the CEO of Anglicare here in South Australia. Um, and one of the issues that was very big on my heart then and remains on my heart uh, are the homeless in our country. The fact that so many people uh, do not have a, a, any proper accommodation uh, and that certain subgroups of that are growing um, alarmingly. The fact that women over 55 are the fastest growing group of homeless people in our country. And I think of Matthew 25 uh, uh, really talks about what are we doing for people like that. And I'm concerned I have not heard enough from either of the major parties on how they're going to address that issue. A second issue which is of major concern to me is the, uh, the epidemic of ICE in our community. Um, we have a, a, a breakdown of the social fabric being threatened 
uh, not uh, you know you, you see for example uh, sewer surveys done how much ice is showing up in the sewer of our cities it's alarming uh, the predictions of how much ice is being taken now this is a, a, a i think an outcome of a secular society that has lost that is losing its roots um, in in who we are as as a community and where faith ought to be playing a much more important part um, so what's going to happen about uh, a real treatment of the ice epidemic scourge that is happening in, in our community? Then the issues of uh, health care, uh, that uh, you know, we, we have the resources in our country to give a decent support of health care, uh, and I don't believe it's yet happening as much as it could do. And then there's the issue of refugees at our gate, the stranger at the gate. How are we going to deal uh, with our obligation to be uh, an appropriate recipient uh, of people coming from other countries. Well, I want to invite listeners, join in our conversation. You might have your own thoughts on any of those issues that Lynn Arnold has raised, homelessness, the ice epidemic, and we might even enlarge that, Lynn, because when I think about the ice epidemic, sometimes that's treated separately to the prescription drugs epidemic or the... The illicit the, drugs, uh, every, there's an epidemic in all of these different drugs and we can include the in their alcohol. The drugs issue has been highlighted quite a lot recently, the fentanyl and all those sorts of medications that are causing huge problems. But can I just come back to, to make a point on the ICE issue? I uh, am a patron of the school's ministry group, which supports chaplains in schools. Now, there's a lot of fundamentalist secularists who argue vehemently against such chaplains in schools. And yet they will not, those people who argue against the role of chaplains to try and help the young people find meaning in life, uh, say nothing about the fact that those very self-same young people are now exposed increasingly to the, the scourge of ice and will become, many of them will become victims of it. Then just a couple of minutes coming out up to news, but let's just uh, focus on this for a moment because as the secularism deepens, uh, people's hope diminishes and therefore their social stability diminishes and we see this rise of drug epidemics, uh, alcohol challenges. Uh, these are related. Uh, we can make that correlation. Uh, of course, more more research is always necessary, but what are your thoughts on on the fact that there is a correlation between the two? Less God, more social challenges. I think you're absolutely correct. And it's the point I've been making when I've been speaking about the role of school chaplains in our schools. I gave a sermon on the subject in St. Peter's to say that uh, rather than attack people who are trying to bring some sucker, some counsel in our schools, attack the threats that face our young people. Because you put it very soundly there, as there's increasing secularization, there is less hope felt by, uh, by young people. There's this idea that as secularization increases, the church matters less. But what we're seeing is the ramifications of that, the consequences even. That's right. That's exactly right. And so how are we going to address that? Well, clearly you do need uh, legislation to, to criminalize the, the, or to increase the criminal penalties for those who, who deal in, in such drugs. But you really have to get to the nub of the problem. Why are young people feeling that this is where their life future lies? Why do they feel that taking ice offers them something better than, uh, than the hope of faith or um, than other things about a future? Lynn, let's move our conversation on and talk about one of the biggest issues that Christians are concerned about because it concerns schools and universities, this idea of freedom of speech. Uh, your thoughts on the overall concept of what both sides are dealing with as they grapple with these issues of freedom of speech in Australia? Yes, there's been a, a major problem facing us, and that is the, the pressure to, to constrain the right for people to have an opinion about matters. And freedom of speech is a fundamental right that we need to not only have, we need to work out how we can protect that right. Uh, and the legislation, the, the Philip Ruddock Review, has introduced some ways in which that can happen, for example, in terms of Christian schools, but it's a more general issue that still needs to be uh, considered. How, 
how can we ensure that people have the right to, to, to express their views, their beliefs in our society and not be shouted down or not be shut up, which is uh, uh, the more serious problem. Uh, it's one thing to express a view and then know that you're going to have people opposed to you. Well, you have to bear that. But to be shut down is what is, uh, is, the, is the dangerous outcome. And, of course, the capacity of schools being able to employ uh, people who will sign off on the Christian ethos of the school, that appears to be under threat from uh, some of the policies being suggested, uh, and it's on the left side. Uh, But what are your thoughts on uh, the fact that schools are an extension of the church and this idea of uh, trampling over the church's rights to be able to teach what the Bible teaches? Well, I mean, I strongly support the right of a of, of any uh, faith-based school to be able to express their faith and require the people who work there that they subscribe to that ethos of uh, that faith. You know, you wouldn't uh, appoint a, a minister in a church who didn't believe. Well, there have been examples of atheist bishops, I suppose, around the world, but that's they're not good. Uh, you, you wouldn't uh, appoint a minister in a church who didn't believe in God. So likewise, if if a a church is going to run a school, then they have the right to expect that the people who work there will uh, ascribe to that uh, ethos as well. Okay, there's this whole issue of an LGBTQI agenda uh, that seems to be influencing politics and on every side, I might say, perhaps one side more than another, but there is this rising agenda that comes with uh, issues of sexuality, of transsexuality. Uh, These things are very, very significant. Applying a Christian test to these ideas uh, gets us into all sorts of hot water because uh, we're called all sorts of names as soon as we start to quote the Bible, as Israel Folau has discovered over this past 12 months. What are your thoughts about the influences that are coming into the policy debate uh, that are not being met with a Christian uh, tension argument? There is pressure to shut people down, and I think that's a very dangerous one. The fact that people are starting to feel they're not even allowed to express an opinion, um, and, and that needs to be contested. What I would want to say, however, is I share Bishop uh, John Dixon's comments about uh, Israel Folau's comments. Can't disagree with the content of what he said, but and to use Bishop Dixon's, uh, John Dixon's words, man, oh man, couldn't he have said it with more grace? Um, And there really is a call for all of us when we are going to express opinions that we do so with a spirit of grace. Uh, And if we actually want people to listen to us rather than just us simply saying, this is what I believe and you can go and take it if you want or jump in the lake if you don't, um, that's not a Christian spirit. We actually want people to come the journey with us. We are asked to be uh, a light to the world. Well, that is meant to be that the world should feel that light not feel it as uh, uh, as something that's pushing them down. I imagine that when someone posts something on social media, as Israel Folau has done, and it's taken as being heavy-handed, not gracious, as you say, uh, there will always be the way that people interpret the way that you might bring a biblical uh, point of view into an argument and it'll always look as though it is heavy-handed. Doesn't this create an opportunity for the church in general and particularly because uh, uh, this whole idea of freedom of speech is a part of an election campaign right now, an opportunity to be able to bring into that a uh, perhaps a measured biblical Christian response? Oh, und- undoubtedly. And this is really incumbent upon all Christians If we feel we have strong views about certain matters, how do we feel we can say that in a way that somebody else will listen to, Uh, that we can actually have them say, oh, I see what you're getting at, Uh, rather than have them say, oh, well, you're just going to say that because that's who you are. Um, And the whole art of communication um, is is, is a very sophisticated art. uh, You know, Jesus knew when he communicated with uh, his disciples, he needed to do it by parables, for example. He couldn't unveil uh, to them the total uh, glory of of God's eternity uh, uh, in in all its fullness. He had to do it through parables. Well, how do we communicate with others about what the Christian message of love 
of uh, of uh, salvation through Christ. How do we uh, how do we do that? Um, and so it's incumbent upon us to 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 work to each of us work on that individually, and as uh, institutions that issue statements for those to be worked on. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Our talkback line is open. You might like to leave a comment or a question on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Let's take another call. Pastor Solomon on the line from Sydney. Hello, Solomon. Welcome along. Yeah. Hi. Good morning. Solomon, what are your thoughts today? Uh, Yeah, I I was just basically wanting to uh, clarify an issue that uh, last caller, Jason, brought up uh, in in regards to abortion. Uh, And in saying that, I just want to make a statement that uh, there are pastors and reverends and ministers of the gospel that that hold a very uh, biblical view to abortion. Uh, That means whether it be a a child from a a rape victim or a child from incest, uh, just to give you two examples, uh, at the church we were involved in in, uh, North, North Sydney. Uh, a young girl that was in year 11, she got raped at a social gathering she went to. She, she bore a child, the, the family and uh, her own family involved with church. We, we are fully aware of the situation in Germany uh, of incest uh, kids. Uh, I, I'm afraid uh, the uh, reverend from South Australia has lost me and lost many other views in, in regards to his view of abortion, uh, a biblical worldview, biblical uh, definition of killing an unborn child. It's, it's just that, an unborn child. We don't take uh, conditions. We don't take uh, the sinful of the parents or whoever. So I just want to reiterate that and make a semblance to this uh, uh, discussion. Solomon, good to bring a biblical foundation to that. And, uh, and of course, uh, as listeners to this program will know, we usually uh, take that position, don't we, that life begins at conception and we don't blame the child as much as uh, we would see the sins of the parents or even the uh, dreadful things that can happen in a life uh, that the child is not to blame. But uh, a, a response here uh, from Lynn uh, you have said the cat amongst the pigeons here a little, and of course uh, this is a very, very know, big issue. It, it, it's, it's, happening, it's happening on your Facebook site too, and I, I, you know, I appreciate that people uh, strongly object to, to what I've said on this regard. Um, th- these issues are not simple, and if there were simple issues, the Bible would be a lot smaller book than what it is. It would just consist of a, a couple of pages of statements of do this and that's it. Um, I could take, for example, the issue of thou shalt not kill uh, and turn the other cheek. There are many Christians who uh, say that means we should be absolute pacifists, that we should never, ever kill another human being in war or anything. And and they hold to that vehemently, uh, and they refuse to go to war. And there have been Christians, pacifists in the past, who have then been killed in the process of being pacifists. And they take a biblical view. Um, But there are many other Bible-believing Christians who say, no, no, it's not quite like that. In the brokenness of the world in which we live, uh, we actually have to do something uh, at times. It's, it's, it's a failure of humanity, but we can't let that failure get even worse by allowing uh, evil uh, to, to overtake like Nazism and, and so on. And so therefore, we must break the biblical injunction not killing, uh, of not turning the other cheek, by turning the other, uh, by uh, in fact killing. Uh, but I don't think that Christians who, who believe that are, are not being biblical, um, I, I think they understand that in the brokenness of this world, something had to happen uh, in those situations. Pastor Solomon in Sydney, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open, 1-800-316-316. And just to top off this issue, and we won't take any more calls about the abortion issue, but just to say that uh, if we introduce politics into what we'd see as a moral, ethical, uh, biblical issue, uh, Lynn, of course, uh, what we can see is an incremental decline in the way that we've seen abortion laws uh, being implemented right around this nation of Australia and uh, people who'd say that uh, these days in Australia we have the worst abortion laws in the world. 
But I imagine that it is a fair thing to say that the return from those uh, worst abortion laws in the world, if there were to be some reform towards the value of those little human lives, it's an incremental process that will need to reverse what has happened incrementally to take us to a place where we are uh, disgusted by the laws that have taken place. What are your thoughts? There's one, uh, for, there's, there's for, one very important starting point that yeah. would need to happen there, and that is that the, uh, the fetus needs to have rights. Um, at the moment, the fetus essentially is just an organ of the mother's body uh, it, 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 and has no rights per se. And therefore, if you contest the rights of the, the, the mother against the, the, uh, the rights, well, you should not contest them against the rights of the fetus because the fetus has no rights. Um, and so that's a situation I think does need to be explored um, in, uh, in this country. And from what I understand, uh, in an article I read recently from the US, there is a case uh, where the fetus has been given rights and uh, almost to the point, and I, I'm only reflecting a, a perhaps a vague memory, but the fetus having the right to sue the parents. So, uh, well, let's not get on to any more of this. So let's uh, draw a line under the abortion discussion for now because there's so many different policies. However, it is a hot-button discussion topic to talk about the abortion issue. Uh, let's talk about another hot-button uh, issue and uh, just uh, look, we're throwing around some ideas today and talking about how you might apply your Christian test uh, to the sorts of things that are being debated in the federal election. Uh, let's uh, go into the deep end here, Lynn. Uh, this whole climate change uh, energy policy issue that's going on, uh, everything from Adani to uh, uh, to the way that, uh, you know, different uh, percentages and uh, Paris Accords and all sorts of things like this, uh, these things are very controversial. Applying a Christian ideal to some of these, give us your thoughts and uh, impressions here. God gave humanity the responsibility of it to be stewards of his creation. And we just can't assume that that creation will look after itself if we continue to do things that cause problems. The uh, UN report that came out yesterday that talked about the dramatic reduction in species that is happening as we speak, you know, God's creation being wiped out by us, a whole species disappearing each day. These are God's creation and we're wiping them out. Uh, we are resulting in a planet that is becoming less and less uh, uh, survivable, uh, not just for humanity, that's bad enough, but for, for, for all of God's creation. Um, and, and, and I think that it's, you know, what, what are we going to, will we regard ourselves as having been stewards of this planet uh, if we find in 50 years, 20 years, 10 years, there has been a dramatic worsening of the the way we live in the in the in the Pacific Ocean, there is an area of plastic gathered together there that is the size of France. Uh, and uh, do we take no accountability for what we're doing? Now, climate change is part of the process here. There are some who argue it's 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 cyclical. It's not uh, human uh, impacted. Others say it is human impacted. What is happening is that climate change is happening, whether or not humans have caused it or not. Therefore, how are we going to react to this? evidence of it happening and what are we going to do to ensure that our children will not be left worse off environmentally than we have been I detect concern from Christian communities who say, and I'll get your impression as to whether this is some sort of conspiracy theory, but the idea that the whole environmentalism, climate change debate, has become something of a vehicle for the communist-inspired ideas of control. What are your thoughts on on those sorts of thoughts that Christians sometimes have about the way that the debate is Manipulated uh, by some sections of the uh, by of the uh, of the electorate uh, who would want to uh, control people. Well, take control of the debate. Then don't let it be taken control by others. If we look at the issue of uh, racial segregation in, in the U.S., the fact that it lasted as long as it did until the '60s was that in the 1950s it was the, the communist argument was being used, that it was communists that were supporting racial integration, and therefore we couldn't align ourselves with that. 
It wasn't until the 60s that uh, others took control of the argument and said, no, that is a conspiracy theory. Uh, it may, of course, be true. The communists wanted to do that. But that doesn't stop us believing in what is right. Uh, and so uh, uh, if, 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 if your con conjecture is right, that people believe the whole climate change argument is a communist conspiracy, uh, what are they going to say about the worsening environment around us? Are they going to say, I won't say anything about it because the wrong people are lining up on the argument? Uh, very powerful. And uh, to bring in the civil rights uh, challenges that happened in the United States back to the 1960s, a very, very significant uh, argument can be made there because uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, was considered to be leading a left-wing uh, mm -hmm. uprising at that time. And of course, uh, mm -hmm. listeners will be familiar with the whole uh, racism of the US, which was right-wing. And if you classify there the Ku Klux Klan as, uh, as the right-wing extremist, but then you had a left-wing uprising that was fighting for the rights of people. So somehow, rather, as a Christian in all of that, of course, uh, the Christian in that particular example uh, takes the side of the left-wing, of uh, the human rights, of the rights of those... Uh, uh, African-Americans. Uh, so these things get very confusing, and this whole left-right divide sometimes is difficult for Christians, Lynn. And one of the things that Christians need to understand is there will be no party on any side of politics that will 100% fit what they believe the Bible calls them to support. That does not mean they should walk away from the political fray. It simply means they have to be very astute when they get involved in the political fray and find uh, which party at this particular moment in time best uh, expresses what they believe their faith says. And you're quite right, that may have changed in 10 or 20 years' time. Uh, let's take one more call. John is on the line in Tasmania. Hello, John. Welcome. G'day, g'day. Good. John, what are your thoughts? Um... Yeah, just a, just a thought on the um, graciousness of Israel Folau. I've been thoroughly impressed with, with what he has um, shared um, uh, on social media, etc., and the stance that he's taken. Um, just a concern which, and from that is um, often nowadays we as Christians are apologetic to the word repentance, um, whereas I believe repentance is, you know, he's got that list of sins that he's got there, the homosexuals, the the lies, the thieves, all that, it's there. But the word repentance is, is important to remember, that repentance from sin is, is, is absolutely important, but it's actually a repentance to God, so that we're aligning ourselves, this political argument, that political discourse that you're talking about on today's program, it's actually making sure that we are aligned with God, because repentance is that idea of salvation, that we're actually coming to God and being on His side, and having our thoughts and our agendas, our attitudes, lining up with who God is and what He stands for, um, and so you know, it's a call for all people to repent. Is is to make sure that we're not living in sin. Yes, absolutely. But more importantly, that we are lining up with God. So I believe what Israel's done is he's been absolutely gracious because he's been able to um, point people. Although we almost consider repentance, the word repent is almost a swear word when we go out to evangelize. You know, we're we're apologetic about that, that word in many regards, but it's actually a greater call to lining ourselves up with God. So I think John, you're making a great point there because uh, we're all included in that Bible verse uh, in some space or another. But uh, a response from Lynn Arnold. John, I thought you put that very well. Uh, I thought that was a way in which it would make sense to others who are not believers listening to it to, to get that aha moment that surely we want them to get. It's when things are said in a way that that aha moment is never going to come because of the way we've said something that concerns me. I thought, John, you really put that very graciously just now. John from Tasmania, thank you so much for your input. Uh, running out of time, just a, a minute or two really uh, in our conversation. Uh, Lynn, as we're talking about uh, this faith in the public square, uh, what's your encouragement uh, to Christian believers? And yes, they will have their own uh, contentious issues even between Christian believers over which uh, policy is right, which one is wrong. Uh, but applying our Christian faith to the political issues of the day, how important is that for, uh, for those who are listening to us to, uh, to be taking seriously? 
It's very important, but I also think we need to understand that it's a complex mix of things, so that if we're going to just vote on one issue in an election campaign, we might have left untouched a whole body of other issues that that party supports or represents that we might ultimately say, oh dear, I didn't know it meant that too. Uh, And so we need to just uh, do a bit of uh, box ticking in our own mind. Well, if I vote for this side, will will that help the things that I think a Christian is called to support? Will that help the the needy in our society that a Christian is called to support? Will that help uh, uh, the spread of the gospel? uh, or Or will these things not help them? And then go through that range of things before deciding what what your vote's going to be. Well, I often point people to election checklists, and uh, there are Christian organisations who've presented election checklists, and uh, they're out now. Uh, people can check out the Australian Christian Values Institute at christianvalues.org.au. There's also uh, Family Voice Australia, familyvoice.org.au. Uh, you can check things that come from the Endeavour Forum or from the Family Council of Victoria uh, or from uh, Culture Watch. Uh, there's Some a lot of those, of... however, can be a bit lean on Matthew 25, inasmuch as you did it to the least of these. And I think that that's a particular checklist we have given to us by the Bible. And do the parties match that checklist? How do they match it? Uh, that is a powerful insight uh, that we'll have to leave our conversation on, is how the policies of our political leaders are responding to the poor. And uh, thank you so much for drawing our attention to some of these huge issues that the nation faces, like homelessness, as you very articulately shared those thoughts, uh, particularly women who are over 55, uh, the epidemics that are facing our community, that uh, vulnerable people on ice and prescription drugs and all sorts of uh, alcohol challenges. Uh, then there's health care issues and the stranger at the gate. As you mentioned, Lynn, uh, those are things that as Christian believers, we are concerned uh, that the vulnerable in our community are not left uh, to their own device, uh, but are actually given that helping hand, that that uh, Christian hand to support and to uh, to be concerned for their welfare. Uh, Lynn Arnold, uh, wonderful getting your insights once again today, and I know that not everybody's agreed with you on some points, but uh, certainly appreciate your insights and uh, for being with us once again today on 2020. It's been my pleasure, Neil. Thank you very much indeed. God bless you. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.